passage of Smyrna um, this week. And it was really it's the very last section, but I'm going to read it so we get it all in context for those of you who weren't here. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. John writes, it says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The first and the last who was dead and who has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad he knows us. He knows right where we're at. I had a couple people already this week say, man, it's been a rough week. Praise the Lord. The Lord knows right where we're at. He knows. He sees it. And we may think, man, we're having a hard time. We're, I'm weak. I'm struggling. And Jesus tells this church, he goes, no, you're not. You're rich. You think you're poor. You're not poor. You're rich. Church, you're not weak. You're strong. Because Jesus teaches, he says, and Paul said, in my weakness, that's when I am strong. Amen? You remember how we, we went through the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus always flips it. He's flipping it all the time. We think, when we think, oh, man, I'm really, I'm, I'm struggling. I, I'm, I blew it. I so blew it this week. You know what? The fact that you recognized that there's conviction happened, you recognized, like, man, I am not all that I thought I was. Guess what? You just became super strong. You just became, you're, you're now not going to trust in your own strength. You're now not going to go, oh, I got this figured out. You're going to go, Lord, I need you. And when you get to that place, you are like Arnold Schwarzenegger strong. And some of you kids, look him up. <laughs> or Lou Ferrigno, like the Hulk, right? All right. I'm, these kids are like, yeah, I lost, you lost me. Who now is like some big dude? The Rock? There you go. He's even old. I don't know. That shit, man. I need, to, I need to do some homework, give you some better analogies for some of these younger ones. But that's, that's what he's saying. You think you're weak, but you're strong. You think you're poor, but you're rich. Isn't that awesome? He goes on, he says, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. We cover that. That naturally would be like, are you serious? You're saying don't fear like the devil's about to throw me in prison? Once again, that's not going to happen in your strength. Amen. You're going to be relying on the Lord's strength. And I don't see fear as a fruit of the Spirit nowhere. And you'll never see in the Bible. Um, it's been said, and I, I didn't count every single time, but that there's 365 times in the Bible says do not fear. 365 times. I never see once where it says, okay, now it's time you should fear. Like, there's so many reasons in this world and through our media and, and oh my Lord, coronavirus is coming back. Well, you know what it was, got me? It was like early on, like early on, like every single week, people were posting and, and quoting Psalm 91, Psalm 91, Psalm 91, Psalm 91. Guess what hasn't changed? Psalm 91 hasn't changed. I read it again this morning. I'm like, man, that's still good. Jesus hasn't changed. Like all this stuff's going up and down and this and that. And you know what hasn't changed? Jesus hasn't changed. He's not folding his hands going, what are we going to do with this election? And oh my gosh. And, and I've got so much stuff sent to me. Praise the Lord. I've watched quite a bit. Um, but I'm not watching the news, just so you know. I'm not. And it's been great. <laughs> I've been having pretty good days and weeks. I'm not like following a bunch of stuff. If you send it to me, 
Sometimes I pray, Lord, you want me to watch this? Okay. But don't send me everything because I'm really enjoying my, like, blissfulness of just knowing, like, Jesus hasn't changed. And I'm his son. And we're in good hands. I've prayed. We've fasted. We've done all this stuff. He's doing what he's doing. He's doing the stuff I can't do. Amen. Amen? And he's really good at it. So I'm going to trust in what he's doing. Amen? I'm going to believe that he is the same. And I'm going to walk in peace. Even though Corona is out there and people are masking up more and, you know, and we're, you know, we got to go through that and we got to do what we got to do. But every time I'm like, all right, but this is dumb, I think. I mean, it's just my thought. I'm not, if I'm, you know, in a spot where I'm older or I'm in have health issues, then that makes sense. But I'm not in that spot, praise the Lord. And the Lord's been good. Amen. So I'm not fearing. Praise the Lord. Goes on and says, to be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Church, we gotta be faithful. Do you see how long we gotta be faithful? That's that's when you get to stop. Are you dead? Good. So be faithful. That's simple, right? I will give you. And if we are, he says, I'll give you the crown of life. Praise God. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Who should the churches, and are we the church? Who should we be listening to? The Spirit. Listen to what the Spirit says. I will promise you, the Holy Spirit's not telling you ever to be afraid. There's one person that we're to be afraid of. I have a very, very healthy respect. It's God. And if we get that part right, there's nothing else to fear. If you don't get that part right, you got a lot to fear. Amen? We're going to look at that. We're going to look at the, the very close of this message. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. He who overcomes. Remember in the earlier few weeks, he said, if you're born twice, you die once. If you're born once, you die twice. Amen? So John is, and Jesus is talking to John about this second death. He says, to he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And, And we went through last week over some of the different types of deaths. This is such an encouraging message. Praise the Lord, talking about death. But there is a few different types we've seen in the book of Romans, chapter 6. There's death to sin. Praise God for that. There's physical death. There's spiritual death. That spiritual death is what's called the second death. And we're going to get in, dig into that a little bit more and a little deeper today. Not everyone has eternal life. Not everyone has eternal life. But everyone has eternal existence. I know some of you were scratching your head when I first said, wait a minute, Pastor. Not everyone has eternal life, but everyone has eternal existence. All people will be resurrected. Some people will be resurrected to eternal life, and some will be resurrected to eternal death. All will be resurrected, but not all at the same time. In my studies, I looked, there's six different resurrections we see in the New Testament. First one, and isn't this right? Jesus is the beginning and end, right? 
the first resurrection we see is Jesus. And some of you are going to say, well, what about Lazarus? He was brought back to life, but he died again. True resurrection is you're, you're alive and you never die. So first resurrection is Jesus. The second resurrection. Last week I talked a little bit about, about this, of the different places of, of, uh, of holding, and one of them was Abraham's bosom. So the second resurrection we see in Scripture was in Matthew chapter 27, which I spoke of a little bit last week. So if you want to see that, Matthew chapter 27 Verses 52 and 53. That's the resurrection of the Old Testament saints that were in Abraham's bosom. After Jesus resurrected, you seen, and, and they showed that they were walking around. They were out on the, they were alive. They were resurrected. So that's the second resurrection we see. The third resurrection we see in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, which we should all be super familiar for because we've been preaching on that for a while. How many is excited about that? It's called the rapture. The rapture of the church. That's the third resurrection. Then there's a fourth resurrection we see in Revelation chapter 11. Remember, we talked a little bit about the two witnesses. They're going to go and proclaim the goodness of God during the tribulation period, and then they're going to die. They're going to be laid in the street for three days, and then they're going to, in front of the whole world's going to see. And I think it's so awesome that John, he has no way to be able to know like how the heck the whole world will be able to see and watch this event happen, that these two Men are going to resurrect in front of everyone. And it says, he said, the whole world will see it at one, in one time. There was no television and internet in, in John's day. But this is what he, what he proclaimed, and they will resurrect. That's the fifth resurrection. We see that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, and in Daniel chapter 12, 1 and 2. Then you have the resurrection of the unrighteous. This will happen after the millennial reign. And they will stand before the great white throne. Now, this is where this part of this message, it is not fun. This is not exciting. This is a very scary truth. We're talking about eternal death. The second death. This is when those who are dead in trespasses and sin, they die physically and are unrepentant. They enter into a state of eternal death. John called it the second death. The second death is also not an end of existence. Some people say, well, what happens when you die? Oh, it's just over. No, it's not over. You, you never cease to exist. It's a state of eternal death, and it's an state of everlasting punishment. It's not an end to an existence. Jesus is telling the church in Smyrna, this is encouraging words to them, there's something worse than physical death. He tells them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the persecution. Don't be afraid if they, if they even bring you to death. Don't be afraid of that. He says, there's something a lot worse than that. It's the second death. And he tells them the second death will not touch them if they have been overcomers. Church, how many want to be an overcomer? You're about to see, and, you're, and I'm about to, and in a very, very small, limited um, way, what second death looks like. Biblically, what, what we see in Scripture. The second death is complete and final separation from God. I can't even imagine that. We have no, we have no way to even picture that because he's everywhere. Like on this earth, and it's in a fallen state, 
but we are still, he, we, we can't get anywhere from him. We're in his presence. Even when I was running from him, he was there. He was speaking to me. His goodness, we see God is good. His goodness is all around us. The creation, the sun coming up, the birds singing, like that none of that. Complete separation from God. Complete separation from love because God is love. We have no way. God is light. Complete darkness. No taste of love, no taste of fellowship. It's, it's, it's the most horrendous, horrible thought. Complete separation from God's plan. Can you imagine? For I know the plans for you. They're plans for good. To give you a faithful and a good hope and future. Completely separated from that. Completely separated from his promises. There is none. Completely separated from his love. We sing the songs, oh, how he loves us. How he loves us so. I can't even comprehend that. Completely separated from his mercy. Completely separated from his grace. There will be no faith or trust in God or anyone else. There will be no hope. Some of you have thought there was hopeless situations. You've never encountered a hopeless situation because God was always there. This will be hopeless. There's no back door. There's no second chance. There's no, but, but if I do this, there's none. Our mind cannot even truly fathom it. There will be no hope for future change. How many have that? Like, you know, like we can go through some stuff where you're like, you know, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. You know, there's, 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 there's always hope that this may change. There will be no hope of future change for eternity. There will not be any fellowship with God or anyone else. Can you imagine? Completely alone. In darkness. No fellowship. Outer darkness is what the Bible calls it. Eternal and unquenchable fire. I want to say something. Jesus taught and preached more about hell than he did heaven. And it's not taught very much and it's not spoken of very much in churches. This second death is no joke. Outer darkness and eternal and unquenchable fire. It's another scripture. It's everlasting torment. Eternal punishment. Everlasting destruction where the worm does not die. You say, man, that is heavy. It's extremely heavy. That's why we're starting there. We need to hear about the second death. We need to know who it's for and what it's for. I spoke of Matthew 25 a little bit earlier. In the closing, 
and this is all in the scope of Jesus talking about the last days, Jesus speaking about that warning the, the people, the Jews and the Gentiles alike. And this is really a warning to the Gentiles um, through that, speaking of the time of during the tribulation. And he closes this section and he says these words. He says, then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, you accursed people, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, well, why is God sending people there? Hell, this, this, this hell, and we talked about all the different places, the lake of fire, this was not ever intended and made for people. It was made for the devil and his angels. And Jesus isn't calling and not cursing these people. This is something I saw in this. He's, he says, depart from me, you accursed people. Jesus isn't cursing them. He's stating the fact that they are cursed. You're going, what's that? Here's what we need to, we've been talking about a little bit of personal responsibility last week. We're going to continue on that path. The sinner himself makes the choice to either come and be blessed, amen, or depart and be accursed. See, this is where you go, well, man, this is, this is rough. God so loved the world that he gave his son. God so hates sin. Church, we, we have, my mind has been so blown and I've been, God hates sin. He so hates sin. And he hates sin because it costs his son. He hates sin because it leads to death. The wages of sin is death. God hates it. And we as believers, we must hate it also. We cannot be okay with it. The church has been way too comfortable with sin and saying it's okay. And it just, well, we, we do love you. We love you so much that we will say, get as far away from hell as you can. And Jesus made no mistake about it. That's why he talk, talked about it so much. And, and he, I believe he used parables a lot of times so that people wouldn't even, he knew they're not going to receive I don't want them to have even more understanding because their torment will be worse. It's his mercy that he would speak in parables at times so that some people wouldn't even understand what he's saying. He's a loving God and he's a merciful God, but he's a just God. And every single one of you, if your child was, was beaten and molested and destroyed, would say there needs to be justice. Amen? So God hates sin. He's not sending and he's not cursing people. He's given us the opportunity to come and drink freely of his mercy and of his grace. He said, here is the way, here is the, the path. Walk in the light. We choose to receive that or we choose to reject that. And you'll say, well, what about those who, and there's always, everyone wants to have these escape, well, what about this? What about, what about those who never heard? The Bible has, all those questions are answered. What about Abraham, who never had a written word? He talked with God. And the Romans tells us that every, and God has put in every single one of us conscience. Conscience means with knowledge. Con means with, science, knowledge. God placed in every single one of us the knowledge of him. It says 
he placed inside of us the ability to look at creation. That he says all creation speaks of God and speaks of his glory. And we know that. When, when you look at creation, you know there has to be a creator. There's an, you might not even believe in God, but you go, there must be some intelligent designer out there. Someone designed this. There's a rhythm and a rhyme. There's something about this. We look at life. Anyone's ever seen a baby born? You go, there is a God. And with that, we have a knowledge to reach and go, who are you? And the Bible says, anyone who searches for him and seeks him will be found by him. Amen? So what about that? What about the gospel, the good news to say that you don't have to go there? There's a God who loved you so much that he sent his son into this world. All you have to do is believe that he is the son of God who came and died for your sin and my sin. That's a good God. My sin and your sin was placed on Jesus and it was punished at the cross so that we could go free. That's good news, church. That's good news. They're cursed because they refuse to be blessed. Well, that just puts it in a whole different light, don't it? You're basically saying, I'm, I refuse you. I re, and when we refuse God, we are refusing to be blessed. That's why he's saying, you accursed people. How many, how many of you really understand when any time we are disobedient? He wants, God wants to bless us. Every, there's the, all these blessings are in the Bible so that we would be obedient to those and be blessed. Amen? He wants his children to be blessed. But if we refuse and we reject his blessing, what comes? Curse. They refuse. They're not damned, or they are damned because they refuse to be saved. That's a whole different way of looking at it. Now, what if, what if we don't tell them? How evil is that? Someone that has tasted and seen that God is good, that has known he has cleansed me from all of my sins. And then we see people who are lost, we see people who are struggling, we see people who are defeated, and we don't say a word. We go, boy, I feel good, I'm clean, I'm washed in the blood. We see someone hungry, starving for the gospel. We see someone thirsty, and we know that we have water and life and it can bubble up out of us at any given moment and we, re we refuse to share that with them but we think we're going to hear well done good and faithful servant this isn't something that God has planned for them he does not desire nor will that anyone suffer such a horrible fate this isn't his, his desire for, for the world. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's his heart. I'm going to read a passage of scripture that 
many of you have read, when you, when you read through the book of Revelation, and every time I read this passage, it brought tears to my eyes because there's a finality. This isn't God's will. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled. Man, from his presence, earth and heaven fled. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead who went in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged. Each one of them according to, to what? Their deeds. Personal responsibility, church. Who were in them. Or my bad. Then death and Hades, verse 14, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There is no hope after that. There is nothing. The, the books are closed. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. James closes his book with these two verses. How many of you believe, like, when someone's writing a letter... And this was Jesus' brother, by the way. And he's writing a letter to the churches. Probably the last few words are pretty important. This is what he closes his letter with. And who is he speaking to? He says, my brethren here, in, in, the, in my Bible, he says, my brothers and sisters. My brothers and sisters. If anyone among you strays from the truth... And someone turns him back. I'm going to stop. This once saved, always saved lie is one of the most deadly things that the church was, has ever bought into. That you can just say a prayer, and from that point on, you do whatever you want, and it's okay. You're covered. What did James say? Who is he speaking to? My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth, that means... You've known the truth. You've received the truth. And someone turns him back. Means you've left it. And then someone turns you back. Let him know that the one who has turned a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Man, I'll tell you what. That is a big responsibility as brothers and sisters. James isn't talking about like, well, you know, you just did this little deed. He said, you saved a soul from death. You saved a soul, a soul from this second death, from this eternal death, this lake of fire, being completely separated from God, from his love, from his mercy, from his hope. And covers a multitude of sins. This says to me that if we see a person in danger of drowning, 
What would you do? Actually, I didn't even plan on this, but I actually had this opportunity this, uh, what was it, February, March? Somewhere in there. We were in Southern California, and we went to Disneyland, and we decided to go to the beach. And I like to go swimming out in the deep. I, li- I love to feel the ocean because you feel so powerless, right? I love that. My wife thinks that's weird. I, but I like to feel the power. It's like I feel the power of God. I feel like I, I can, like I understand like how little I am and how big like all that God is. And I like that feeling. But I like to go way out there and swim. Not like, you know, out with the ships, obviously, but over my head. I go out there and I float around and swim. And, and it's actually smoother than getting beat up by the waves um, sometimes. <laughs> Anyways, the last time I was out there, I, I stayed out there for quite a while. And to the point where I'm like, and there's like a, uh, sometimes there's little riptides and it was kind of pulling back. So I was like, it's about time to come in. I'm feeling, I'm feeling kind of tired. So I start coming in and I hear this guy start yelling, help, help. Now I got to tell you, I had already started coming in and it was rough. And I had it, my, my instinct, you, you know, I'm just going to be honest. I wasn't like, forget it. He's struggling. I'm out. I'm going to go save him. I had to process, like, I might not make it back because I'm done. Like, I'm tired. But that kicked in. If I don't, there's no one else going to. And that's what turned my, there wasn't anyone else I could be like, there wasn't any other two dumb people out there but me and him. And he was probably 40 yards maybe down from where I was. So I began to swim. Thank the Lord. Obviously, I'm here. That means we made it. So I'm saying, if we see a person in danger of drowning, wouldn't we do all we could to rescue him? How much more should we try to rescue those from the lake of fire? You guys, like, first death, like, you know, I don't know where his fate was. I don't believe he was a Christian. So maybe even more so than saving that, could have saved him from the lake of fire. Now, we can do the exact same thing when we tell people about Jesus. And that must be our motivation. Why I'm talking about this is we must have an understanding of this is for real. There is, like, if we don't do it, who will? Do you think people are getting encouraged and getting hope from the media? Do you think people are like, I mean, thank God there is some Christian TV. There is some people that do get saved. God uses all that stuff. Thank God, because that's his heart. But you know who, like, the the most way it happens is through one-on-one conversations. Through wherever you work. Through wherever you're at, the store. through, Through relationships and family. Through people you come in contact with who are openly sharing their struggles. How many of you know that? You, I mean, there's sometimes there's people you're like, you don't even know them. They're just like spilling the beans. Do you think that's by accident? They see some light. They see some hope in you. Share that. Share the source because you're taking someone who can be drowning in a lake of fire and rescuing them for eternity. In Mark's gospel, 
which was really, we would say, Peter's gospel. John Mark is the one who wrote it, but he was dictated from Peter, so Mark wasn't a disciple. <laughs> Just helping some. Peter was, and he gave John Mark firsthand account of this, of this gospel. And it's, it's really interesting, in John Mark's gospel, the very first letters and words in red are Jesus speaking, and it says this, Jesus' words. The time is fulfilled. It's Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Boy, that's an entrance, ain't it? Church, our time is about fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. This was Jesus' first words in Mark's up. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. How many know there's no good news if there isn't bad news? Good news doesn't mean anything if there isn't bad news. How many know that? Like, if I, if I told April, April, I paid your fine. She's like, okay, woohoo. For what? Of what? I didn't even know I had a fine. Would it? But if I tell April, Hey, April, remember last week when you got pulled over because you were doing 110? <laughs> April, don't drive like that, so I can say that. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's a pretty, it's going to be a steep one. And man, yeah, yeah, I was doing, that was dumb. I shouldn't have done that. And I say, hey, April, guess what? I'm paying your fine. That's, what? Woohoo! That's good news. Why? Because there was some bad news. Right? We want to tell the world, good news, they're gospel. And they're going, what? Because the church hasn't said a dang thing about the lake of fire in a long, long time. But I got good news for you. You just saved a bunch of money on insurance. I don't even have a car. I mean, that's what the world's like. What are you talking about? What are you talking about good news? If you don't know that we are lost, that we've sinned, we have violated God's law, and there is a second death, and it's for real, and then you bring someone, you don't have to go there. Here, here's a gift. If you receive this, you don't have to go there. What? That's good news. And you're going to take possession of that and value that. Amen? Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I'm closing right now. Can you guys put that super awesome closing music that makes medicine so good? I've heard good things about that. How many want to know what the conditions for fellowship with God are? Really, I mean, we need to know that, right? People need to know what the conditions are. I was uh, reading this passage, and, and I'm going to share with you, this is probably one of the most common passages most of us could quote. 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 9. And the Lord let me see this in such a different light, and I, I'm, I pray that, that this clicks for you like it did me. 
There was this big if. In verse 9 of John 1, and I'm going to read the whole, I'm going to just read 9 first, and I'm going to read the whole thing in, in context. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? How many know that verse? This is something, and you're going to say, like, Pastor Steve, you're not the sharpest guy, and, and you're probably right. I've read this so many times, but I saw this in such a different light a couple weeks ago. That if was huge. Because Jesus said that we are to repent and believe. Amen? First John 1, I said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's what a lot, not of just the world, a lot of the church this is what the Lord put this on my heart so heavy, and I hope you all receive this. We don't want to confess our sin. We don't even believe most of the time that what we're doing is sin. See, what we, how we view sin and how God views sin are so different. We've become under this gracey grace, and thank God for his grace, but church, God hates sin. He hates it. He doesn't play with it. The wages of sin is death. And he says, if you confess your sin, I will be faithful and just to forgive you, forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's a big if. So you know what happens if we don't confess our sin? If we don't confess our sin, he will not be faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're going, Pastor Steve, I'm going to read this whole thing in context, and you tell me I'm wrong. This is what got me. There is a lot of even Christians saying, my sin isn't sin. There's all kinds of people groups today that are saying, my sin isn't sin. There's people even blaming God. You made me this way. You are not going to make it because you are not confessing your sin. There's a lot of people that hold on to unforgiveness. And this is one of the biggest ones. Jesus made it very, very plain. He says, if you're not willing to forgive, you will not be forgiven. So we can hold on to hurts. We can hold on to things that have happened to us and hold on to unforgiveness and justify it. Oh, no, the devil wants you to justify your sin. Because if you can justify your sin, you won't confess your sin, and you won't be free from it, and you won't be forgiven from it, and you will spend time, eternity, in the lake of fire. I know this isn't like a very popular message at all, but it is the truth. We have to understand what he says is sin is sin. No matter what you think about it, no matter what... You've heard me say for, for since I've been pastor, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what his word says. So if his word says that that's sin, guess what? It's sin. We need to stay way far from it. And we need to tell our other brothers and sisters, not in a judgmental attitude. We don't judge. The same measurement you want to judge people, you're going to be measured by. But we need to be able to be honest enough to say, bro, I love you. Are you sure that's Okay. Because this word's saying something different. And if you have made, I hear people say, well, my God, 
My God will let my God doesn't my God. Your God is a false God. Your God is an idol. It's a man-made God. If it's saying if he's saying something different than what his word says, that's not God. Church, whatever he is putting his finger on, what it, and we know what they are. You were convicted at some point, shape, or form, and then allowed someone else to talk you out of it. Don't let no one talk you out of what the Holy Spirit has put his finger on. Don't let no one talk you out what God has said is sin, is sin. We have to repent. Repent means that I acknowledge, God, that what you're saying is right, and I am wrong. And I repent. I change my mind on that. I change my heart on that. And I completely change the direction that I've been living in that area. I change that. It's not okay. And I'm not walking in that way any longer. And I don't know how it's going to look. I'm not promising anything big. I don't know if I'm going to be perfect in that. And he's not saying you got to be. He's saying you got to change your heart. You must change your mind. You must repent. You must say that if I've said it is sin, then it is. And there's no shape or there's no argument with that. If we confess our sin. Now let's look at this passage in full light and full disclosure. 1 John 1, 5 and I. The, the, John's the beloved. John is the disciple that we know as the beloved. And he loves us enough to tell us this. He says, this is the message we've heard from him and announced to you. That God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Church, do you hear those words? But if we walk in the light, you see the big if? But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Yay! But if we say that we have no sin, if we basically say, God, what you're saying is sin for me, it's not. What you're, what you're, you're saying this is sin, but it's not, Lord. It's not sin for me. But if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we, here it is, if, personal responsibility, if we confess our sins, if we say, you're right, Lord, what you're saying is absolutely right, and I have violated your truth, and I am wrong, and we confess that, not to me, not to the priest, not to him, Then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, there it is again. If we, no, Lord, I haven't done that. It's okay. Well, I was hurt as a young child, I was touched wrong. We, none of that's going to fly. Is it sin? Is unforgiveness sin? It is. 
is lying sin. It is. Is gossip sin? It is. Is adultery sin? Is not having clean eyes and pure hearts sin? Is pornography sin? We can't tell God you made me this way. That's the most ridiculous. Can you imagine? We're going to blame our sin on God? It's your fault. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Whew. If we say that we have not, or we make excuse, or we say, I'm not confessing my sin because it's not sin. We're the liar. God's not a liar. And his word is not in us. If his word is not in us, then we will not be saved. We need to walk in the light. <laughs> Full-blown light. Every single part of our life exposed. No secret. There's no secret compartments. We all want to have them. Like, we all have these areas that we try to hide before all these other folks. You can't hide any of those things before God. He sees you completely naked. Adam and Eve were in that garden completely exposed. We're fully exposed before him. You can't lie to him. You can't hide it. There will never be an excuse. Well, you don't understand. Oh, he fully understands. He knows us. He put on this humanity. He walked this walk. He came and died on the cross for your sins so that you can be free. And so that the world around us can be free. And we're not going to be able to justify our sins. And we're not going to be able to justify that we haven't told anyone or shared our faith with anyone. Or shared the gospel, the good news. Why don't you bow your heads with me. Lord, I do believe your word. And it says that it is not your desire that anyone should perish. That's not your desire. You didn't come into this world to condemn the world. You came to this world to save the world. We thank you. We thank you, Father, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But, oh, Lord, there's condemnation for those who aren't. Oh, Lord, I pray, God, that you would begin right now. And, Holy Spirit, I thank you for your work. I can't do any of this. I cannot prick someone's heart. I do not have the ability to bring and knock on the door of someone's heart. You do that. I do not have the ability to turn a soul from death to life. You do that. I will pray and ask that every argument against the truth and against the gospel be, be pulled down.